Hey there, welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. Today, my guest is Louise Claire Johnson. She is a journalist, a literary lifestyle influencer, and the author of a book called Behind the Red Door, How Elizabeth Arden's Legacy Inspired My Coming of Age in the Beauty Industry. So Louise is a Toronto-based writer whose work has been published in the Globe and Mail, the Huffington Post, Darling Magazine, and more. She's a graduate of Richard Ivey School of Business and Harvard University. She studied and she's worked in Hong Kong, Switzerland, New York, and Boston. She is a host of the World Weaver podcast. She interviews authors and shares writing advice. Most importantly, what I want you to know about Louise is She has written a book that is going to inspire your beauty soul. And boy, don't we all need a dose of this right now. No kidding, you guys. This is what we've needed for a long time. So you're going to want to listen to the podcast and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I had such a fun conversation with Louise. And then you're going to want to go out and buy her book, which you can find on Amazon. But stay tuned. Enjoy the show. Again, head over to the Beauty and Success Launchpad Facebook group where we'll have a conversation about this episode. It is a Facebook group designed specifically for beauty professionals. And I would love to hear your feedback. I post a link to each show, each episode, and I encourage you to have a beauty biz conversation with me surrounding all the amazing shares from the show that our guests share with you guys here on the show. Okay. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. I'm your host, Lori Crete. I'm a licensed esthetician, spa owner, industry consultant, speaker, and journalist, and the founder of the Beauty Biz Club, which is the only professional success-based society designed to dramatically up your bookings, increase your profits and provide you with industry specific resources that are needed to succeed. If you'd like to know more about how you can become a member of the beauty biz club, please visit beautybizclub.com. Now I invite you to join me as I feature inspirational messages from industry gurus and practical tips to tap into your best success. Stay tuned for some serious beauty biz entertainment. Hi, everybody. It's Lori here. Welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Louise Claire Johnson. Hi, Louise. Hi, Lori. I'm so excited to be here today. Oh, my goodness. I'm excited to have you here. You have just wrapped up one of the hardest things I think that people can do in their career, and that's writing a book. It was honestly the hardest thing I have ever done. I ran a marathon, which I actually write about in the book. And that I thought at the time was the hardest thing, training for that, running for that amount of time and not stopping. I haven't had a baby yet, but I think this is pretty close to having a book baby and the gestation period. And honestly, it was the most mentally challenging thing that I have ever done. What do you think the hardest part of it was? Was it putting all the information in a sequence that was flowing? Was it holding yourself accountable to sitting down and and writing the book? Yeah, at different phases, I found new challenges. I was pretty naive when I first entered. I thought, oh, you just write a book. Boom, it'll be on shelves in a couple months. 
But it took me five years to get to this point, even longer if I really count when I first had the idea. But I think the hardest part was definitely structuring it, the organization of having an idea. I knew I wanted to write a book about the beauty industry, about Elizabeth Arden over the years, but it was how do I make this universally relevant and interesting? So there's a narrative arc. I'm not just info dumping historic data on people, something that people can relate to in their own lives. Did you go to school to like any kind of journalism or communications, anything like that? I did. So I worked for six years at Elizabeth Arden initially in marketing. And then I took a left turn in my career and I went to Harvard where I got my master's degree in journalism. How did I miss that part of it? Uh, I sat down yesterday thinking, okay, I like to almost, I like to grab a little bit of knowledge surrounding my guest, but I also like to come into these episodes with a, a genuine curiosity. So it feels like two girls chatting. I think that's what my audience really likes. Two girls chatting about beauty biz stuff. I love it. That's the way I like to talk about it too. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Harvard. Yes. Is it clear what they say? Okay, I grew up, well, I lived in Boston for a long time when I was a flight attendant. And I used to go walk around Harvard Square. Yes. Where are you from from? Toronto, right? Yeah, I'm Canadian originally, but I left home when I was 18. So I first started interning for three years every summer in New York City for Elizabeth Arden. And then I moved to Geneva, Switzerland for two years where I worked in skincare for Elizabeth Arden, moved back to New York. And when this kind of calling of writing a book, I always wanted to be a writer, but I put it on the back burner for so long because I just really bought into that idea that to be successful, to be financially independent, I had to go into business. I went to business school initially for my undergrad But I couldn't shake that calling. It was like this little whisper that I want to be a writer. So for me, I kind of needed that external validation of going back to school that somebody else thought I could be a good writer as well. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody that I was applying, gathering my portfolio because I thought, hey, if I don't get into Harvard, nobody has to know. And I still have this great job in New York. I'm happy here. But I did get in and that was kind of a big decision for me because I really did have the dream job in the dream city by all accounts. I'm working in marketing. I rose the ranks pretty quickly, living in New York, rubbing elbows with Taylor Swift and Anna Wintour, who worked for Vogue. But it was kind of a crazy idea to go back to school, especially to be a writer where struggling is usually... The prefix to it, a struggling writer, it seemed a bit crazy. So I had mixed kind of reactions when I told people that I was going to go to Boston. But I can honestly say now, in retrospect, looking back, it was the best decision I've ever made. It was the best two years of my life. Living in Cambridge, you're just surrounded by inspirational people who care about ideas and academia, and they're not there to kind of push the bottom line. It really was two years of full creative freedom that I hadn't experienced before. Well, I have a question. Now, I I talked to you. She's actually a friend of mine. She's a famous Bollywood actress who took some, she came here to take some classes at Harvard Business School. Yes. But I never thought to ask her this. And it's something I've always been curious about. Daniel Pink, I believe, was a professor at Harvard. Is that correct? Who yes. wrote a book on happiness. Yes, yes. 
And he talks so much about the struggle of emotions and depression at Harvard. Did you ever go through any of that? Or you said it was just this creative freedom that kind of lit you up? I think I didn't because I went to do my master's there. I wasn't doing my undergrad and I was fulfilling a lifelong dream. So for me, I just felt honored to be in the same classroom as these professors who were editors for the New York Times, for the LA Times, world-renowned authors. Daniel Pink actually spoke in one of my lectures. So for me, I never had that. It was really kind of the self-fulfilling prophecy. And it proved to me that I was on the right path. Finally, it just felt right in my gut. I think too, moving from New York, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, to Boston is still the same type of city, but maybe with a little more expansive feeling, right? Not so compact living. A hundred percent. You nailed it. That's how I always describe it to people. I felt like, I mean, New York is a walking city. You walk everywhere, but Boston, I felt it was more of a walking city. There's kind of this more freedom. It's not, the sidewalks are bigger. There's less people. You're not in such a hurry to get from A to Z, A to Z. I'm Canadian. so I say so. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I also living in Cambridge and being living close to Harvard Yard, I just really felt, I kind of felt like I was like Hermione going to Hogwarts for the first time. It, it was as, it, it sounds cliche, but it was pretty magical. Well, no, I mean, I, there's no denying you're a determined girl. So let's go back. Yep. And talk about when did you discover, because I know anyone who is brave enough to move to New York City at 18 mm-hmm. is determined. But prior to that, is there a time in your life, like when you were a kid or maybe your first job where you go, oh, I have a drive and nothing's stopping me? Do you remember a moment attached to that? Definitely. I've always had this low grade anxiousness. I didn't really know what to call it. But when I was nine, my parents actually took me to see a specialist because I developed a really bad insomnia. And a nine-year-old who is having trouble going to class, and I loved school, don't get me wrong, but I couldn't sleep at night. And we went to see all these specialists. They They talked to the principal, my teachers, is she getting bullied? What is it? And they kind of figured out at that time, it was really, I was just so anxious and stressed about my future, even at nine. <laughs> and I don't know of even, and it started small of, I was worried about my next dance recital or my my next test or doing well. So I always had this people pleasing innate nature where I just wanted to be really a perfectionist nature. And I don't know if that is, I was born like that. It's, I came from, I come from a really great accomplished family. And I don't, looking back, I don't think that they put the pressure on me. I always felt it was this internal drive, but I always had this inclination that I wanted to do something big. I have found most people, and this is my own market research, but most people that are drawn to the beauty industry and really Mm -hmm. treat it as a career are people pleasers. Yes. It's it's weird. I mean, no matter what, because you never really worked in a treatment room or provided that type of service, did you? No, never. But I got to experience it a little bit while I was working in marketing at Arden. We would go to certain trainings, the beauty demonstrators in the spa, the Red Door Spa, and also at Counter. So I got to see it from a different lens, but it's all part of the same beauty industry. I feel like if you're drawn to this industry, it's about how you want to make people feel. 
1000% yes. I want to know, and then I'm going to tell you something that's really funny and, and how and why I was so drawn to your book. They sent me the PDF. Your publicist sent me yes. the PDF. I have um, to, I'm going to make sure you get a hard copy. It's way better in hard copy. Well, I'm going on a long flight soon. So I, that's coming with me. I'm going to save it for my little wedding vacation that I have to go on. But oh my gosh, I couldn't stop reading it. And there's a reason. And I'll tell you that in a little bit. But I want to know, and you, gosh, there's so much we were going to talk about. What first attracted you to Elizabeth Arden? And when you first started writing, I'm like, how did Elizabeth Arden know? Oh my gosh, Nightingale. Florence, Florence Nightingale. Nightingale Graham. How did she know her? And then I started reading. <laughs> I was so confused. I so, know. <laughs> tell everybody how you became drawn to her and how those two names are attached. Yeah. Okay. I'll start with, so Florence Nightingale Graham, everybody knows her as the famous nurse. She was a Canadian woman and I'm from Canada and we're both from outside of Toronto. So her, she was born Florence Nightingale Graham. Her mother wanted her to be a nurse. That was what her dream for her daughter was. But young Florence discovered that she couldn't stand the sight of blood. So that ruled out that career path for her. And she moved from outside of Canada in 1908 to Manhattan with dreams of becoming this self-made woman. She didn't know what it was yet. And beauty culturists, it wasn't called the beauty industry. It was this idea of these culturists who really were advocating for female self-care, skincare, pampering yourselves, and having women take some time for themselves at the beginning of the day before they pleased their husbands, before they took care of their children. This is in the early 1900s where women really were treated as second-class citizens. So this underground culture was forming of women just pampering themselves. It wasn't so much about makeup, more of the idea of holistic beauty. So Florence Nightingale Graham moved there, kind of saw the rise of this female emancipation, really. And she adopted an alter ego, called herself Elizabeth Arden. And you can read the book to see how she chose that specific name. I won't do it justice, but you should read the anecdote of how she chose that name. She really did love Elizabeth Taylor as well. That was part of it. And just kind of adopted this new persona of the woman she always wanted to be and kind of shed Florence Nightingale Graham, her Canadian lower class roots to become this successful entrepreneur. Uh, right away, you talk about how she fought for women's rights. So it wasn't just, I'm going to give you a lipstick so you feel beautiful. Like she was empowering us from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the time, w- makeup and red lipstick was a sign of sin. It was for women of the night and the brothels. And men didn't want their wives to wear makeup because they thought they were doing it for the male gaze to attract male attention. So really women were kind of owned by men at that time, at the dawn of the 21st century. And Elizabeth Arden saw this. She was a fierce advocate for women's rights. And this is kind of the the dawn of the suffragette movement. And there there was a big parade and a big march for women for women to have the right to vote in New York City down Fifth Avenue. 
and Elizabeth Arden weaves through the streets, handing out red lipstick. And it's this sea of women, if you can picture it, all dressed in white, holding banners, votes for women. They have babies in strollers. And all of them are putting this red lipstick as a sign of rebellion against the patriarchy. Kind of this F you to the male gaze. And we're going to wear what we want to wear. And we're going to speak our truth. So it was this sea of red lips that was kind of a small but powerful emblem of emancipation. I have to ask you because I love marketing and I love product development. Does she have a red lipstick called Rebel? No, that is Max Factor, I believe. Or Revlon. I think they have one called Rebel. Oh my gosh. Somebody should name a red lipstick after some power movement that she helped us create as women. I know. She has Red Door Red. She had Montezuma Red. There's a lot of different kinds of red. Okay, so how did you first discover even who she was and become so inspired by her? That's a great question because initially I actually got the internship at Elizabeth Arden and I had no idea she was a real woman. I was I was starting business school. I was looking for a summer internship and I went to a student alumni event and was just taking business cards. And I got this one and it said Elizabeth Arden in New York City, beauty industry, and it was marketing. It was a marketing internship. And for me, that was the best of both worlds before I ultimately decided to become a writer was this idea. Marketing to me was the most creative form of business. And I said, hey, that's cool. It's in New York. Why don't I apply? So before I applied, my mom bought me this book called War Paint. And it was a dual biography about Elizabeth Arden and Helena Rubinstein. And there's a Broadway play in New York now as well called War Paint. And that's how I started finding out who Elizabeth Arden was. Oh, she's a real woman. And all these serendipities started popping up between us. I had no idea she was also Canadian. She moved exactly from outside of Toronto, where I am from, in 1908 to Manhattan, and I moved there in 2008, 100 years later. And even just kind of her value system, the way she approached the world, I had started a blog called Manhattan Maven. She had started before blogs, a beauty pamphlet where she would write kind of like us talking now, girlfriend to girlfriend about beauty tips, sharing new concoctions and ointments she was developing at home. And that's kind of how I started as well, talking about beauty on a blog. For her, it was in this beauty pamphlet. And I just started to kind of become fascinated, not just by the beauty industry, but by the woman behind it and started to look up to her as kind of this cosmic connection or a kindred spirit as I embarked at 18 on this new career path. And I thought, hey, if she can make it to the top, She's the CEO of this company. She's a powerful woman. I might as well kind of learn as much as I can about her and follow in her footsteps. Oh my gosh. And that's really what your whole book is about. Your discoveries along that journey. A hundred percent. It starts off like that. It starts off with me following directly in her footsteps, asking myself, what would Elizabeth do in certain situations as I navigate New York for the first time? The second part of the book takes us to Europe. I lived in Switzerland. She lived 
in Switzerland, old world London and Paris. And so at every step of the way, I just would look to her and the lessons that she taught to see how I could accomplish not only personal goals, but also business goals. And then you'll see kind of near the end of the book, I actually take a divergent path and I start to look at her life almost as what not to do. So it's not just this beautiful fluffy ride where she shows me the way to success. At one point, as I come of age and gain a little bit more confidence in myself, there are certain things about her life that I start to question, such as the way that she... So at first, I'm really enamored by how much she puts into her business and full tilt into the corporate drive. But along the way, I start to question, well, what was she giving up to be that successful in the corporate world? Where are her personal relationships? What happens to her family, to her love life, to her other hobbies and passions that fall by the wayside? And I kind of had to ask myself, is this really the life I want? Is this the successful path I want? Or am I just following in somebody else's idea of success? So that's kind of where the book takes you. It makes you question not only what does success look like from the outside, but really what does it feel like? And that's something I think all young girls of any age, it's good to self-reflect and take that pause and question the path you're on. It's such perfect timing because I feel like I can speak for the whole world right now, but really for beauty professionals that literally had to take a step back and reevaluate it, gave us that space to, and I know I have so many beauty industry friends. Many of us are showing up differently now. We had time to evaluate. So what a great book and a great time to launch it to the world when we all are in the middle of this. Thank you. I know I didn't plan the timing, but it worked out well in a sense. But it is a whole new, this whole pandemic era, as much heartache and hardship as it has caused, the silver lining, I think, and it really is what you said, that we are able to take that time to reflect and show up in a new way that feels good for us. Because otherwise, you can just go through life just kind of trying to get ahead, reaching the next milestone, grinding, hustling. We don't really get these pauses in life that often. So if we can make lemonade out of lemons, so to speak, it's a, I think it's a really good thing. Oh my gosh. Before the pandemic, I literally was flying <laughs> once a month somewhere to speak. I was working in my spa. I was running this online business academy that I have. And then all of a sudden, everything stopped. Yeah. And I go, what do I do? And I swear every day at two o'clock, I napped for like four months. It was the weirdest (laughs) feeling ever. And I think it took years off my life. I mean, added years to my life, took years off my face. I look, watch me. Yeah, you look great. (laughs) All the rest, I guess I got from (laughs) this whole COVID thing. But I, I, as people speak, I'm writing down questions because it keeps me on track with what I want to ask you. Is there anything in your book or anything, any like stone that you, you uncovered during this journey where she maybe handled the Spanish flu of 1918? Does it talk about that at all anywhere in the history of her life? It touches on these big cultural miles. It touches on the Spanish flu very briefly, but she does weather World War One, World War II. Her sister, Gladys, is a character in the book as well. 
And her sister was actually imprisoned in Ravensbrook in Europe. And her Elizabeth Arden has to try to rescue her sister from Nazi Germany, this prison camp, and she barely survives. And so really, that's the interesting part of this book is I get to see Elizabeth's life, her complete narrative arc from beginning to the end of her life. For me in the book, it's a very short window of my young life, 18 to 25. And so I'm never comparing my life to hers directly because she has lived, I can't compare to the Spanish flu, World War I, World War II, the big economic depression and crash that happened on Wall Street for her that and the recession. So she really is incredibly inspiring that throughout all, all of this, she didn't even have the right to vote. She couldn't take out a loan as a woman. She couldn't even get her first beauty salon without a man's signature. And she couldn't get her own credit card. All of these hurdles that she had to overcome are so insurmountable. And she really did pave the way for new generations of women like me. I think that people uh, don't think enough about the things that you just shared. Because really what she was fighting for was not that long ago. We've come a long way. And in this recession, I I just heard on, uh, I think it was NPR, a podcast on NPR the other day, somebody sent it to me. And it talked about how we've regressed back to 1988, where we were in the workforce because of the pandemic. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, Oh my God, broke my heart because I fought my whole life to have my fellow practitioners, not my whole life since I got in the beauty industry. I'm like, we have this really weird unsuccessful stigma attached to us as beauty providers. And that's been my mission to try to change that. So I think that's one of the reasons I was so into your book right away. Like the fight she had for other women is so inspiring to me. Me too, really. And because it's one of the only industries that are largely or majority run by women and Elizabeth Arden. So she was the CEO, which was unheard of at the time. She's competing against all these other men who are running corporations because women were supposed to be in the home, not out in the workforce. So she really employed a whole batch of women who otherwise couldn't get work outside of the home. I mean, maybe they could be a secretary on Wall Street, but they're still subpar to the male in charge. And Elizabeth gave these women opportunities to rise the corporate ranks in the early 1900s when that was just unheard of. And so I think what you were touching on earlier with what's going on today is really interesting to me. Like you said, we're going back to 1988 because it's these women run industries, but we're still trying to fit into a system that was built by men for men, just the way the whole corporate structure works. And I remember times when I was an intern, I would be running to the bathroom and I would see my boss in a janitor closet pumping breast milk. She just had a baby and she'd cut her six week maternity leave short just so she wouldn't get replaced and her job wouldn't be taken from her. I was like, that is crazy. This successful woman has to pump in a janitor's closet. I mean, there should be like lactation rooms or something to really allow women to flourish in these industries and not try to fit into this male mold. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is what I stand for 100%. 
What, what actually, tell me a little bit, let's dive into what you did at Elizabeth Arden when you got to New York. I I wrote down what you said. Marketing is the most creative form of business. And I have to agree with you. Yes. People are are terrified of it, but honestly, I think everything in the world, this is maybe a big, bold statement. Everything is marketing. The podcasts we're on right now, the clothes we're wearing, the makeup we put on our faces, the kind of phone you buy, it has all been marketed to you, whether subconsciously or consciously. And to me, what I've learned over the years, so when I say I took a left turn in my career to go to journalism school and become a writer, I had my friend tell me this once and I never forgot it. He goes, you actually didn't take a left turn in your career because marketing is just storytelling at its core. And that's what we're doing. We're telling stories that are relatable and that resonate. And that when I first started marketing, I thought it was all kind of business, male-driven, analytical. But there is this beautiful balance of femininity and storytelling that goes with it that I really fell in love with. And I didn't know that initially. But yeah, so when I first started interning, I worked in color cosmetics. And then I also worked in the skincare division. And then later in my career, Elizabeth Arden licenses celebrity and designer fragrances. So Justin Bieber, Elizabeth Taylor is a big one. Britney Spears fragrance, Taylor Swift. Kim Kardashian initially was with Elizabeth Arden and then she started her own fragrance line. So kind of everybody has come through Elizabeth Arden fragrance division. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even realize that. I know. You don't work for that company anymore. No. And I think it would have been hard to write a book if I still worked because I would have had a bias towards it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I only could write it after leaving the company. Does she have kids? And now would be grandkids that are seeing your work? Do you know? No, she has no kids. She had a niece who got all of her estate really, but the company wasn't taken she owned it all and she didn't have a succession plan. She honestly thought she was going to live forever. And she was just so hell bent on keeping her own business. So the company has evolved and changed hands over the years, but I still do have a great relationship with Elizabeth Arden. They were acquired by Revlon in 2016. Okay. Yep. So yeah, they, they know about the book and they gave me access to the archives when I needed for research and everything. So yeah, but no, she has no living family left at all. Wow. Mm-hmm. Did she marry or do you want to talk? People have to read the book to find out all this scope. You can read it, but her, her love life is fascinating. She married a <laughs> Russian, a Russian, I'll just tell you this tidbit. She married a Russian prince at one point. She had two marriages the second was to a Russian prince who ended up on her, their honeymoon. He uh, brought his boyfriend. Oh my God. Yes. And this, this is, is all true. This is a true story. It's crazy. So there's that. And then there's also, a. it's never been proven. I couldn't find any substantial public records to validate this, but there was a lot of rumors that she was potentially a lesbian as well. There was Bessie Marbury was a famous, she was a famous acting manager in New York. And she had a girlfriend named Elsie DeWolf. And also they were in a relationship with uh, JP Morgan's daughter, Anne Morgan. So she hung out with those women at the time. And there was a lot of subtle 
remarks that she might have also been in a relationship with a woman. But again, we have to remember at the time that was considered illegal. So she could have been arrested and lost her business if that came out in the public. I cannot wait to read this book. Now, there's never been a better time, too, because I'm running out of TV. And I think <laughs> I'm going to just take my book to bed because I can't even watch anything left on. I've been watching so much TV. So. I just flip through and I'm like, I can't. There's nothing. I've seen it all. Oh, but you know what? This would make an incredible documentary. And I'm going to give the book to my friend who is a producer that does documentaries like this. Wouldn't that be cool if you were like the next Elizabeth Gilbert? That would be amazing. Eat, pray, love. Yeah. I'm ready for it. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm going to give him your book. And, um, That'd be great. Thanks. Okay, yeah, because so- this book is stranger than fiction. It, se- it reads like fiction, but it the stories are true. It's incredible. Her life is fascinating. Well, I could see where this is a story I wanted to share with you because I feel like nobody else is going to get this like you are. Yeah. Now, you also know I had to sign a non-disclosure. I went in and I did some consulting with a skincare and makeup line that was led by a very, very strong woman. And I can't tell you who it is. Unfortunately, I would love to have an open book, but I signed my life away. And I sat with her nephew at lunch. Mm -hmm. And Everything he said to me was been my 100% mission since I entered the beauty industry. Like she wanted businesses for women. She wanted jobs for women. She wanted, you know, for them to work in a place, not that there's anything wrong with this, but this was the movement at her time to work at somewhere other than being a secretary or at working in a bank. Cause those were the two jobs for women in this era. Yep. And I'm like, oh my God, I am so relating to this woman. She had all kinds of celebrity friends, which I had, you know, the fun of going to parties like that when I lived in LA and owned my spa. So fun. So fun. And I thought I'd be bored not being a flight attendant. So she bought so much property, this woman in Los Angeles in the fifties, which is a huge accomplishment. And we went to an older part of the building to film. And right after I heard this, right? And I feel like, oh, I'm so connecting with this woman. This is so divine that I'm here in this space and learning about her energy. So I go into the restroom and I'm in there by myself. And all of a sudden the sink turns on by itself from across the room. Weird. And I go, wait, did I really hear that? Because it turned on and then off. And the only thing in this bathroom was an eight by 10 old photo of her from like the 60s. Oh my God. It was so I go, maybe that's my imagination. And then I walk out of the room and the sink turns on again as I'm leaving the room. No, that I I got chills. (laughs) Yes. So I go back out and I say to the head of marketing, I'm like, has anyone ever said it's haunted in here? (laughs) Let's just put it this way. There are people that will not use that bathroom. So I feel like this woman and I connected and she said, Lori, you were on the right path. So whenever I feel beat up by this industry or maybe other people that don't understand what my mission is or see it like I see it, I go back and I think about that moment and it drives me forward. Kind of like what you said, you know, that, that you think, what would she do in this situation? Exactly. WWED. What would Elizabeth do? (laughs) I love it. So I think right away I couldn't, I'm like, gosh, you know, it was on my computer and I was scrolling through and it was Sunday, but I, like I said, I can't wait to read the rest of it. So you tell me, you tell me looking, and this is just our opinion for all of our listeners, but Mm -hmm. for the longest time, 
I know that a lot of people have felt threatened by these bigger skincare and beauty companies. What do you think is going to happen to them now that malls are kind of becoming a less likely place for people to go in and try on a lipstick or to try that blush? What does it look like in the next five or 10 years for businesses in that realm? Such a good question because, yeah, we've seen the evolution from department stores to the boom of Sephora, going into store, trying it on. And makeup and cosmetics is one of those things you really do need to try it, see it in person, feel it, smell it to make sure that it's something that you want. I So I do see it going, I mean, with the pandemic now, storefronts are closed, you can't go in, but women and people are still buying these products. But I do see it going fully online, but there's going to have to be an interactive part, maybe the boom of you remember beauty boxes people used to get those in the mail the samples I feel like they kind of had a heyday and then they sunk back down but maybe direct to consumer samples you try it at home people are gonna have to get creative because I I really do see this whole industry going online but it's one of those ones where you really do need to touch feel smell use all of your senses so getting the sample in the mail trying it and then purchasing online, I think, is the way it's going to go. What we do you think? totally bring back the Avon lady. Remember? Um, yes. And I don't know how old you are because you look way younger than me. But I remember going to my aunt's house. 31. So you may not remember Avon. Like my aunt always, and my aunt's 90 now. She, her Avon lady used to bring her by the little lipsticks and she would give them to me. And I was fascinated with them. I so, know exactly who she is. Yeah, my grandmother's sister was an Avon lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but part of the, the intrigue with that whole line was the little samples they dropped off at your front door. That's actually pretty ingenious. I could see that coming back for sure. You're right. Yeah. And history repeats itself. We just have to shift with the culture. So everything sees a renaissance. Yes. Yes. And you know, for me, you're right. Even the smell of a lipstick, it can look incredible on my lips and go with my complexion but if it smells a little odd to me I can't wear it same same and skin certain skincare products I'm like oh I want to try that and you get it and it's a scent that just doesn't work for you yeah other thing clothing you can buy it online and return it you can't return these products so Avon lady you're onto something I think we might <laughs> Let's see bring something I like it Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, it, it is going to be an industry that I think forever will be recession proof, but I truly believe it has to make some big changes now because, because of the fact people want to see it, feel it, smell it, touch it before they buy it. Or a company is going to have to really add into their budgeting factors, a heightened level of returns, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to have to accommodate somehow for these new changing shopping habits. So moving forward, I would love for you to share with me the biggest takeaway you learned about yourself writing this book, because this has been a journey of who you are from the very beginning. Oh my like gosh. Stepping into your career, not just writing a book. Absolutely. Well, other than that, I can sit for a very, very, very long time and write. Uh, that's something I learned. But really the whole book was an act of catharsis for me looking back and shaping my, really my coming of age, the most formative years. And 
reflecting on it and not just putting it into a book, but looking at my flaws, examining myself. And I think the most challenging thing for me was how vulnerable it made me feel to put it down on paper, knowing people are going to read this. But I think that's also going to be the most rewarding part because that's what people relate to. It's those vulnerabilities. It's exposing your flaws and not being so perfect. And like I said earlier, I'm a perfectionist. So that was the hardest thing for me is letting that go and putting it all on the page. And hopefully it resonates with younger girls kind of going through the same thing. One of the things, and I do a lot of mentorship and and coaching. One of the first things I'll tell somebody that wants to step into creating something has a, a goal is you have to let go of perfectionism and just focus on progress because everything can be fixed, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Even with the book to get to the finish line, if you say you're going to write a book, it's such a daunting process. And I had to give myself permission to write a bad draft, just write it through to the end. You can always go back and edit it. So that was something for sure as well. Okay. So I want to ask you a question and really I ask everybody this. I already know one of your answers. These are kind of rapid fire questions. I love these. If you could have dinner with anybody, three people, I know who number one would be, but who are the other two? Elizabeth Arden. Absolutely. (laughs) I would like you there because I think you could really add a new touch to both the Avon era and also the (laughs) modern beauty industry. Oh, and then absolutely compliment. (laughs) And then probably I would throw in Marilyn Monroe because she was best friends and a client of Elizabeth Arden. I would love to just hear some stories of their the golden era in New York and Hollywood and what they talked about while they had dinner together. Oh, that would be so thank you for inviting me to that dinner. Just the thought (laughs) of it is thrilling. I think we I can tell we'd get along. (laughs) Okay. So if you could be on one reality show, which one would it be? Oh my gosh. I do watch reality shows. That's one of my vices, guilty pleasures for sure. I mean, I'd probably have to say the Real Housewives. I live in Toronto. So maybe the Real Housewives, because I think I could add, do you watch that show? I do. Which one are you thinking you'd like to be on? Well, I mean, Real Housewives of New York is the one that I like the best. Beverly Hills is also great. But Carol Radsowell, she was an author. So I yeah. like to see, I liked her journey before she left New York Housewives, kind of seeing her writing her book. She wrote articles for Elle and different magazines, living in New York, kind of reliving my old life. So probably if I had to pick, it would be Real Housewives of New York. I'd be the new Carol. <laughs> Okay. That's, that's a good name. And I always liked her. I thought she was very real. Me too. Yeah. See, I like asking these questions because then it leads me into other questions. That's another world that's really changing is the magazine, the world of magazines. What's going to happen there? Is it just digital? Cause I don't feel like they get as much attention online. No. And it's magazines. The beauty of them are the images holding that paper, seeing it and people Vogue, it was a cult following. You would keep it on your bedside table as kind of a statement piece, an accessory. So, I mean, and it's a shame you're seeing the paper quality reducing because there's not enough money. Everything's going online. It's kind of a sad state. It's the same with journalism and newspapers and everything. I Everything is going digital these days. It's going paperless. And I'm such an old soul. I love old records. I love old 
old books, old Vogue magazines. I keep everything. So for somebody like me, it's really a sad trend that we're seeing, but maybe we will see a renaissance and people will like to have these objects again in their house. Well, what happens in times like this? Uh, there's no denying that 2020 was a disruptor on so many levels and so mm-hmm. many different personal business, uh, the world. We're coming out of survival mode and in transition. And I feel like everything's up in the air. But if people really tap into that creative side, there are so many amazing opportunities right now to do things in a different way. Definitely. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, maybe now after this pause, people will have more appreciation for the things that we were losing before. Magazines that are kind of this lost dying art. And maybe now this pause will allow us to appreciate that even more. You know, I'm not going to lie. I hardly ever stop. But even when I was doing a million things and running around like crazy and I would grab a magazine from the grocery store on Sunday morning and sit in my backyard and that just flip through it and read, even if it was like, you know, one of the, I don't even know, you know, the Hollywood magazines, it just allowed me to disconnect from my stress and relax a little bit. That's true. It's a form of escapism and it's a sense of normalcy. It kind of brings you back to who you were before the pandemic. So yeah, I I agree with you. Well, and speaking of normalcy, that's why I watch The Housewives, because I realize how normal my life is, and I have gratitude for that. Same. It's a form of escapism for me. It lets me just shut my mind down. It's always thinking, and that is just this mindless, numbing escape for me. Did you say you live in Toronto now? You're back in Canada? Yes. Yeah, I moved back to finish the book kind of as my main hub, and then travel from there. I mean, I haven't been able to travel in a long time. I feel bad for you guys. We are recording this. It usually goes out. So I don't know, you know, where you'll be when this actually hits the podcast platforms. But oh my gosh, you guys are still like trying to open up there, huh? It's the worst it's ever been in North America. It's the worst in North America in Toronto. They closed down golf courses. You can't eat on a patio. You can't play tennis. There's nothing. Even outdoor activities have been shut down for us. It's pretty bad. Now, if you go for a walk, you can go for a walk, but you can't fraternize. You can't sit in a park with anyone or anything. You're not supposed to. Oh my goodness. That's kind of what we did here in Palm Desert all summer. And I felt like a caged animal because it's 120 every day. The one thing you could do was go outside for a walk and you couldn't even do that unless you wanted to uh, over a heat stroke. And it's mixed messaging because they're saying it's not transmitted outside. So go outside, get some fresh air. But then when they take all that away, it's very confusing. And it's just sad that after 14 months, we're worse than we've ever been. So, I mean, and also Canada, we're not getting the vaccines as fast as I'm, I'm pretty sure the entire population of Canada has been vaccinated in the U.S. by now. Yeah, uh, well, I'm in uh, we have a lot of snowbirds here and they right. are coming down here. So let me ask you this. What are you doing to stay sane? Maybe you can help a listener out that is in your position going, give me something here to make me feel normal. Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, give yourself a little bit of grace if you're not producing and you don't come out of this pandemic with a body of art or a next great novel. Give yourself, I mean, we're going through a pandemic. So I think there is a bit of that feeling like, well, I have all this extra time. I need to maximize it. You don't have to. We, there is this underlying heaviness 
going on, give yourself a little bit of space there. But on the flip side, for me, having this pause, not having social obligations, not traveling as much has kind of allowed me to refocus and pick up hobbies. So basically, I think that would be my recommendation. Pick up something that you do just for the pure enjoyment of it, not for financial gain or to impress anybody else. Maybe that's learning to play chess or knitting, or if you haven't been able to read in a long time because your life was so busy, reread one of your old favorite books to kind of get you back into that habit and just, yeah, find things you love to do again for the pure joy of it. There's one thing I regret that I did not do during our lockdown, which I didn't get to work for almost 10 months. That's a long time. That is a long career. And I was just thinking yesterday, because I've only been back at work now two months. I just thought, why didn't I document in a journal what I was feeling through this whole entire and what I was doing? Because I thought, oh my God, a year ago, I literally spent three days scrubbing the grout on my floor just for something to do. (laughs) (laughs) And I am in such a better place now, but I would like to go back and read what I was going through and watch my own transformation of growth. So if anyone listening in is still really struggling, I say document your feelings because it won't last forever. And you can go back and see how you've evolved. Great advice. Yeah, I keep a morning journal. Just even if it's just a line a day of how I'm feeling, what's going on, who knows if I'll look back on it. But now that I have that, I can go back and see what I was feeling a year ago. So, okay, I'm going to ask you two more rapid fire questions, but we always get sidetracks. And I think that's what makes it fun for the listeners when we go on our tangents. If you could be in any band, what band would it be and what member would you be? Oh my God, that's such a good question. (laughs) Hmm. I have to think. I, I mean, I think I have to go with the Beatles and I would be Paul McCartney. (laughs) I want to be the front and center guy. I want to be the guy writing the songs and he has aged so well. He has managed his career over decades. So I want that kind of longevity. I want to still be a cool old rocker at that age. Well, I have to say you are an old soul. I did not (laughs) expect you to pick. I don't think there's any great new bands of this era, which maybe that'll get me in trouble for saying that, but. Well, I I was thinking that the other day too. And I am, you know, my significant other Jay is from Texas. So we're listening to a lot of country music around here, which really isn't my thing. I'm an eighties kind of girl, throw a hairband on when I'm outside and I'm really happy. So what about a two part question? Number Mm -hmm. one is what is your favorite beauty product right now? And well, I'm going to, ask you that. And then I'm going to write down the second part. So I don't forget. For me, beauty, I'm really into skincare because skin is the natural canvas. Makeup is just the enhancement tool. So if you say my go-to, I have to use a retinol every night for me. That's my new serum before I go to sleep. I love retinol cream serums. I love collagen, vitamin C creams. I'm all about moisture, moisture, moisture. Yeah. Okay. So a retinol product, you can say a brand if there's one that you love. People like to want to know. I honestly, and this is not a plug. I use Elizabeth Arden still because I know how their products were made. I worked with the in-house scientists. So I use Privage. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you could, and you've got to be part of this, but right now, if you could invent anything for the beauty industry, what would it be? Like from the marketing aspect, you have kind of your hand in all kinds of elements of the industry. 
That is, if I could, I would love to create my own signature scent. I haven't found the exact perfect one. I'm wearing one right now called Whispers in the Library, but I would love my own mix of masculine, feminine scents for sure. And yeah, I think that beauty, I mean, from a makeup standpoint, I love a good bronzer. Mascara is my number one. I could live without eyeliner, I think, but mascara, I really have to have a great non-clumpy mascara and a bit of bronzer and I'm good to go. I think it's hilarious that you're wearing a perfume that's whispers in the library and you're a writer. Did something you know, do that? Is that why you were drawn to it? The name was of it? Draw, I was drawn to it. And it, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, is it's, that it's, Elizabeth Arden perfume? It is not. No, it's <laughs> no, it's uh, Lulabo. Okay. Is, I don't even know. I've never heard of it. I, I don't really wear a lot of perfumes because when you're in a treatment room with somebody, people are very sensitive to. That's my mom is very sensitive to scents. So I, when I go visit her, I don't wear it. But for me, that's something that I have actually started wearing more during the pandemic because it's just a little spritz, a boost in the morning. It makes me feel put together. Even if I'm just wearing another sweatsuit, a little bit of makeup, a little spritz of perfume, and I feel put together. So funny. I Earlier this morning, I recorded a podcast with a shaman, and she oh. said she likes to put on her most elegant, expensive perfume before she does anything to, you know, like speak or, or try to sell to her audience because she has a, an online program. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. That I never I thought about it. that. Put it on before you step into a position of where you want to feel powerful. Definitely. And scents have, there's such a memory evoking things too. So probably for her, if she sprays it before she goes on stage or whatever she's doing, the next time she does it, it'll bring her back to that feeling of success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. So is there anything that, well, do you have like an official job or title or anything now, or have you just devoted your time to this book and launching it and writing it? Yeah. So after I graduated with my degree, my journalism degree, I've been freelance writing for magazines and newspapers on the side while trying to finish the book. But now I can say I'm a full-time author, full-time writer. This is my full career. And I I have a second book right now that is going on submission. So I'm hoping to just, this is the first of many. Oh, how awesome. I think writing is such a talent. I think it's like speaking another language. Some people are just gifted (laughs) the ability to do so. So it's something that I admire when people can devote the time, energy and creativity that has to go into this type of project. Thank you. Yeah. It, I agree with you. I think it's, there's an innate skill, but I also think it's something that's learned. It's a muscle through repetition. It's like people who play piano. Some people can learn by sight reading and practicing over time. Some people are really good. They already have the music in their ear. And it's just something, it's a lot of discipline. It's sitting down, it's reading a lot so that you know what good writing is. And it's all about patience. It's making sure, it's kind of like a song, making sure that the sentences flow into the next, that you're not giving too much dialogue or too much background. It's kind of like a dance, really. I always think of writing as the same type of feeling and frustration that I had when I was trying to learn the piano. You have to take the music notes and they have Mm -hmm. to move into your head, out through your hands and onto the piano. 
And it's kind of like that. You have to take your ideas and put them into your head and out onto that paper through pen or, you know, however people you choose to write. And I don't think people allow themselves the creative process. Like it's not going to be perfect the first time. No, never. My first drafts are horrible. I would never want anybody to read them, but it's getting okay. I mean, you're not going to be perfect or great at something the first time you do it. It's continuing to go back even when you suck at it, even when you fail and finessing it. And over time you become more confident and you trust yourself more of, okay, that is a good sentence. That's a good chapter. If it feels good for you, if you're reading it and you like it and it brings up emotion in you, you know, it's good writing. If you're reading it and it's boring and it's dragging on, it's probably not a very exciting chapter that you've just written. Okay. So how long do you think it was from when you go, this is an idea till I have now the book to hit the market? Yeah. For Well, honestly, my first book took five years and that's only because I had the idea. It came to me kind of in vignettes, little images, but I was still working at Elizabeth Arden full time when the idea came to me. So I would write in fits and spurts, different scenes and things. Then when I went to journalism school and when I lived in Boston, I had my whole world was writing. So I had more of that freedom to put it together into a structure. So, I mean, overall, the writing itself took me probably six months if I really distilled it down. But that's because I'd spent years researching it, outlining it, putting together how I wanted the kind of narrative climax to go, where I wanted the ending, the thesis and theme that I wanted the book to have. I didn't just want to tell a surface level story, this kind of chronological biography. I wanted it to have a deeper universal takeaway. So honestly, it was the back end that took me years while I had a full-time job, maybe six, and that's fast to write a book in six months. But then I probably rewrote it eight more times with my literary agent, with the editor at the publisher, getting feedback from critique partners and really cutting the fat and making it every single sentence sing. You're really good at it. Even that first, you know, the few pages I was able to read, I could visualize exactly what you had put on paper. And that's a really important part of a book. Is oh, to that be makes to me so happy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm like I could see her out there fighting for our rights, literally fighting for our rights on the streets. So yeah, I want it to be cinematic because people are visual. So if I can make you think of an image with my words, then I've done a good job. Yes, you have. You have because that's exactly how I felt right away. Great. If you people listening in want to write a book, because I talk to so many people that do, can you mm-hmm. give like I don't like to say just give a success tip because then it almost feels overwhelming. Like give a tip on where to start if you want to write a book. That's the biggest question. How do I start? I have an idea. What do I do next? First, I think the most important thing is to speak it into existence. Tell somebody, write it down in a journal, write a blog post about it, write a letter to yourself, stick it on the fridge, put it in your wallet. Put it on your bulletin board or your vision board. As soon as you get it out of your head into the real world, it's more concrete. And you can, if you can see it, you are more likely to achieve it. 
So that's my first tip is if you're thinking about it, you're mulling it over, tell somebody, write a contract to yourself and say, I will write a book by this date, blah, blah, blah. And if I don't, I have to donate X amount to charity or something. Because I think people get so caught up in this fear of what if I can't finish it? What if I don't do it? And that can trip up even the best of writers is this fear and the self-doubt. And that tripped me up for a long time. It took me a lot longer to really push myself to write a book because I just thought, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't have the education or whatever. So that's the first tip. And then really the biggest thing is you have to sit your butt in the chair and make it a priority and make it a habit. If you just say, oh, I'm going to write a book, that's a daunting task to put on your to-do list. Break it down into smaller steps. Break it down into a monthly word count goal, a weekly word count goal, even a daily one. If you write one sentence a day, by the end of a year, you could have a book. It's putting it on your calendar and making it concrete and taking it out of the abstract. I tell my fellow beauty providers to schedule your goals and your dreams like you would a facial appointment. Yes. I love that. Um, So here's what I'm going to ask you. First of all, where can people go? What's the name of the book? Where can people go to purchase the book? Yep. So the book is called Behind the Red Door and it's by Louise Claire Johnson. And by the way, I don't think I'm Sarah Jessica Parker or anything. I have my middle name in there for Google search. (laughs) (laughs) There's too many Louise Johnsons. But yeah, so you can you can find me at louiseclairejohnson.com. My website has all of my social links. It has links to buy the book. Everything is there. The book trailer, my email address, ways to contact me. It's all in that one hub. Awesome. And can you get it on Amazon or are you just doing it? Okay. You can get Amazon, any bookstore. Any bookstore. Now I'm going to ask you, you don't have to answer me right now, but I think this would be so fun. In my, it's called the Beauty Biz Club. It's a, a business portal for beauty entrepreneurs. And we really teach you what you need to excel in the industry and bust through these stagnant industry norms. But quarterly, I do a book club. And it would be so fun if I had your book in there next quarter, but then you come in and talk to us all about it after we read it. Absolutely. I don't even have to think about it. Okay. That's a hell. Yes. Yes, awesome. yes, yes. You'll be the first author ever to join us in the conversation. I and love it. Yeah. Your writing skills and your experience and your passion for the industry. It would be so fun. That would be so. And I'd love to talk to other like-minded people who are in the industry. It's been so long since I've really gotten to go back to my roots of the beauty industry. So hundred percent, I would love to. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to have to get your personal email because we're going through a third party now. So, okay. Awesome. Anything else you want to share that I missed before we wrap it up today? I think that's it. Just thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. You are amazing. And I feel like we need to have dinner next time I'm out your way in LA. Los oh, Angeles. 100%. Palm even Desert. Better. Palm Springs, yes. Palm Springs. <laughs> Palm Springs is even better. <laughs> it's a date. You want to come down here and, I guess, defrost after yes, your long winter. Exactly. Maybe I'll write my next day. book there. I'll set it in Palm Springs so that I have a reason to go explore. <laughs> there you go. You could use it as a business tax write-off, too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Awesome. Okay, Louise, thank you so much for all of your shares and the lovely conversation today. You guys head to Amazon. This is a book you're going to want to read. Entertaining, enlightening, motivating, inspiring. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Beauty Biz Show. If you enjoyed the show and you would take the time to leave a kind review over on iTunes, that is very much appreciated. And if you find you are left craving more beauty biz inspiration and success tools, then you're going to want to head over to beautybizclub.com, which is the premier online success academy where talented practitioners go to maximize their potential and to become booked perfectly. Again, that is beautybizclub.com. And it would be my pleasure and my honor to help you tap into your highest potential in the beauty industry. 